Hello, uh, welcome to 2023. We're off to a late start and the Formula Scout podcast. I'm Bethany Waring. I'm here with Ida Wood today to discuss all the goings on in Kuwait and elsewhere in the world. By the sounds of it, it wasn't the most um, calm of weekends over over in what was Kuwait's first single-seater weekend. Yeah, so um, the racing was good at times, but the issue was with the races in Kuwait, with the races in New Zealand this weekend, and also with some of the races in India, we either had no video stream, a totally dysfunctional video stream, or um, audio connection issues at the circuit end. So possibly the most chaotic way to watch a weekend of racing I've ever experienced. And that's no reflection on the racing itself. Although the the rating itself was also quite quite disjointed, just looking through your reports, quite a few red flags there, quite a few safety car periods. Uh, let's start with um, Formula Region. What what's for you? So it's Formula Regional Middle East. It's technically Formula Regional Asian, but they've changed the name to reflect that they're only racing in the Middle East because they want to use the Asian name once they're going over the full continent again. Um, but we're yet to determine or decide if we should call it FRMEC in like our acronym or just FRME because you know it still makes sense about the championship at the end. Yeah, uh, that actually quite some logic there. We've not put calling it Asia. So we have Paul Sisters, polls from Joshua Dirksen and Sammy Megatunif and wins for. The above and Dido Beginovic in the first race, which I think was probably the. I noticed on Twitter you mentioned watching one lap over and over again. I think that was race one, wasn't it? Um, well, it happened multiple times during the day, but um, that very first race for the Formula Regional cars was, I think we got half a lap in, maybe, and then. Um, there were red flags and yeah, we basically only got shown replays of what had already happened because there was no racing occurring. So that wasn't particularly fun. Um, a well-deserved win by Boganovic, but as we'll, we'll go on to explain, everything aside from who won these races was more the talking point because of how crazy it was. Yeah, so talk talk us through through race one. I've, I've just got in down major turn two crash, so that that, that doesn't sound too great. Yeah, so Kuwait's obviously a new track, so teams have done simulators and got data. And because of actual, very oddly, disruption of a rainstorm during the test day, it meant it took even longer to actually establish, you know, where's the racing line? Where are the ideal breaking points? Because even with a track walk, the first time you do this, you can't really tell. And another problem is because you're in the desert, but you're still like 20k away from the sea, I think, you're still going to have a problem of wind bringing dust in. And... At turn two, which was probably the most, the focus of everything this weekend, was um, you have a really high speed turn one and then a really long straight, which is really wide as well. And then turn two is your first braking zone. They, all of the drivers were way too enthusiastic about how they were going to approach that corner, um, how willing they were to go side by side with other cars in that corner. And also, um, even if they got into the corner fine, it was then coming out the corner, were they carrying enough speed or were they understeering too much to actually then stay on track to get to turn three um, and that was an issue in every single race so three formula regional middle east races and three formula four races that happened 
almost every lap. Yeah, it's a shame you'd think... I, I was kind of expecting, OK, we've got a Karma Race 3 now that they know what the situation is at Turn 2, but that that wasn't the case, was it? No, and, and I think that was because you had track evolution as well, so... Um, like the braking, I mean the braking zone wouldn't change drastically, but the way the track was getting faster and they were obviously getting more comfortable with it, you're probably going to be more willing to brake later into that corner once you've raced on it three times than you are at the start of the weekend. So drivers just kept on being very ambitious there until uh, the last race and we had red flags and I think that third race was red flag as well, but safety car periods in each of the races as well. Yeah, so a deserving win for Begnovich, Begn- you said. Yeah, so I think he came from ninth on the grid and he'd already got himself up to kind of second place by the time he got to turn two because he essentially um, made use of the slipstream to turn one and then did it again on the way to turn two. But because it was already so powerful, they were basically four wide and he went off the track entirely to overtake people. Then was very fortunate that he had the inside line so he could break the latest. Um, and that meant he emerged from the corner, you know, fighting for the lead, while everyone else around him had a, a huge crash. Um, and then after that, because we had a long red flag and then safety car period, he didn't really have to do too much in like the, the racing that followed, um, apart from fighting his teammate Antonelli to then actually win the race. So it was all basically around that first lap, and honestly, just two straights basically decided that that kind of result for him, um, which was, you know. It made a lot of headlines, but I think his his win, as, as impressive as it was, was not as big a story as the chaos that was occurring behind it. For sure, it was is I I didn't catch the 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 racing. I was on electric racing duty, which I think you also were, but I I'm more. I'm not as good a multitasker as you. Um, was it kind of like... I remember covering Toyota Racing Series where every crash would be, OK, we're just going to red flag this so that we can just get it cleared up, no time behind the safety car, or were they were these serious crashes that would typically need a red flag? Initially, they were red flagging kind of as much as they could, and then it went more into, we'll bring out a safety car for this instead. I think also because... It's almost like a learning process with the circuit. It's the first time they've had to recover single-seater vehicles. Um, and it did, it, I'm not sure if there was two recovery vehicles, but there was often an instance where a car had gone off, and not in a place that was particularly dangerous, but it seemed to be that the recovery vehicle would take so long to get rounds reach it that you then just had to have a safety car anyway. Um, so that was kind of what it looked like was happening. And also... Um, some of the drivers who were recovered, it took a long time to not only get them off the track, but then it looked like they were taking them all the way back around to just besides the paddock, and then the recovery vehicle would go back around and uh, and catch the next one. Um, But definitely with that race one crash, it definitely required a red flag because you had one car that rolled over the top of other cars, landed on top of his teammate, I think, um, kind of for several seconds, then flicked over, lost the wheel, you know, the chassis was so damaged that they couldn't do any of the further races. And then you had loads of other cars that had collided and, and also spun and, and had instance there as well. So, yeah, there was no choice for red flag in that instance. But later in the weekend, once a lot of the drivers had turned two crashes, but then managed to, like, drive the car around, further around the lap, then it was like, oh, we just need safety car for this. But because on that occasion there were so many cars that needed to recover, it was red. 
Another thing we had was on the pit straight, we had people crashing into stationary cars and also um, just kind of general drama there, people stopping. In those instances, they sent um, the field through the pit lane instead. And it's a really long pit lane at Q8, like it wraps all the way around past the pit straight. Um, and that, I think, was a good response. But in those instances, because it was taking so long, they then just red flagged the race anyway. So hopefully, because we've got races again this weekend, we're going to see maybe a bit more efficiency in vehicle recovery and race control decisions. But hopefully, you know, it's going to make their job easier if the drivers are just you know, less ambitious, they're safer, they, they don't take as many risks. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah, the, I, I, the, how are the marshals there? I, I don't know. There's quite a lot of racing in the Middle East now. So these are, are these marshals from elsewhere in the Middle East or are these kind of everybody's learning very quickly phoning at the deep end? Um, I don't know if I'm you know the answer sure. to that question. Well... I, I kind of know that Bahrain's Bahrain International Circus Marshals don't I'm not sure if it's like a rent agreement, but they actually work at loads of other tracks around the world and particularly when like new street circuits come along, you you bring in the Bahrain marshals um to, to work. So I'm not sure if they maybe use some of their expertise and the actual marshalling was pretty good, um, compared to like the Auto during the previous week where we had race control uh, messing up on the last lap in detail. Um, but this time, you know, yellow flag, safety card, that was all there. Um, there weren't too many, like, I know some tracks introduced, like, the LCD screens now. But there's such expansive runoff, you don't really have that opportunity. And I think that's another thing that for drivers to catch, um, like, a yellow flag in your vision when you're at a very dusty and, like, gravelly track and the sky is pretty yellow as well because it's dust, it's actually going to be pretty hard to spot the yellow flag that's, like, 100 metres away at the end of the runoff where the marshal post is. Um, so probably more of a challenge for the drivers than the marshalling itself. But, um, you know, they, they kind of did the best job they could with the vehicles they had. If they had more recovery vehicles, I think that would simply be put that, you know, you'd have short safety car periods. Um, and they kept making a point in commentary that they were teaching the drivers a lesson by, by keep bringing out safety car rather than red flagging it, because obviously that takes up racing time. Um, but I, I don't think that was really that much of a consideration. Yeah. Um, if a crash requires that, it requires it. It's not, you don't base safety decisions on how you want to treat the whole field of drivers. It's, it's a bit of an odd thing to think that. No, you just make them, what, what was it in Formula 3 a couple of years ago? I think they just made them get there really early and place bollards or something. It was a... yeah, I mean, you know, if you're expecting a crazy race, race controls and marshals do actually, you know, make changes and anticipate these things. Um, and almost at the end of the paddock in Q8, they cleared space so they could bring cars and drop them off there once it crashed out and then, you know, drive back to collect even more. Uh, I guess we should go back to to the racing. Race two was a win for Josh, Joshua D- D- Defect? Dirksen. Oh, I've got defect oh, it down. Yeah, <laughs> it's because Dirksen was so quick this weekend. Yeah. Oh, I, I did say in the um, introduction as well that Dirksen won, but... Because d- d- Dirksen got called in to, to race Hydra about Blackbirds and he took pole and then he was involved in the, the race one crash, so he was kind of on the back foot after that. Um, yeah, Dufek was another one who kind of came up from a low starting spot to win, overtook a load of cars near turn two, 
also benefited from safety cars and, and that kind of madness. Although um, I've just gone onto the Wikipedia now, so this might not might be breaking news, but it says he was disqualified. Well, that changes things <laughs> a lot because I don't think that decision was made, you know, once race three had happened. So that must have happened afterwards, although I may be mistaken. Right, the race to final results based on their drop box is indeed Taylor Barnard's the winner. Um, it just says Stewart decision 19, car 13 disqualified from race two. Now, fortunately, do I have access to Stewart decisions documents? I'm not sure. Well, that's new information for all of us, but I guess that shows how good Taylor Barnard's weekend was as well, because he came um, from the pretty much kind of from the back and. He finished, I think, on the podium in race one, then got knocked down to 14th by a penalty because he kind. they claimed he'd instigated that huge flat one crash yeah. we talked about earlier. Then um, I thought he'd finished second in race two, but now he's finished first. Um, and then he retired in race three with, um, I think, another crash. Uh, yeah, it was with Rafael Camaras. So, dramatic weekend. He was always, you know, in and amongst the leading positions when he even when he started further back. But, um, yeah, this series has just been non-stop chaos in the two weekends we had so far. Two weekends and the Monday now. Oddly, you know, the, the Middle East weekend, sometimes Friday, Saturday, but now we've got a race weekend, which is Tuesday, Wednesday, which is really unusual. So we had testing today at Q8 for F4 and Formula Regional, and then we have practice qualifying in race one tomorrow and race two and race three on Wednesday, oddly, um, you know, which I guess because you're having two rounds at the same place means you spend less nights on hotels and like spend less money on that kind of stuff. But it's also just very weird. <laughs> yeah, th- this is not a weekend in any place in the world, but um, that gets out. Like you say, it's going to save them a bit of money. Um, and Sami Megatunif is still classified as the winner in race three. Just just checking that. Race three st- yeah, seems like still... the the steadiest of the races. Kind of, yeah. Um, and I think this is also down to, you know, you have several sets of tyres during the weekend and sometimes a driver will deliberately you know, race on old tyres because then they can save that extra set for, for later in the weekend. So I think there was some difference on who was on new tyres and who was on old tyres for the final race. Um, yeah, I mean, there was still a lot of drama in that race. I think we had Sebastian Montoya spinning, uh, Rafael Villagomez and Michael Shin had a crash. Obviously, Barnard and Kamara did as well, and, and that brought out the safety car for a while. Then we had almost like a repeat of the race one crash at turn two where... Um, one car got squeezed between two others and uh, got sent into the air. And that was, I think that was Joshua Dufek on that occasion as well. So all of that happened. But in these instances, because the race was kind of in the flow already rather than at the start, so we didn't catch a load of other cars behind in the crashes, um, you know, they only had to do one isolation or a recovery process to, you know, remove three cars or two cars. And also just meant that the drivers up front could, kind of concentrate on the race um megatunif did add antonelli on his tail throughout the final laps but then you know he never actually got close enough to overtake him for the lead so 
pretty impressive win for a driver who up and down in Formula Regional Europe, but so far has actually been quite quick in, in the, the Middle East series. Great turnaround from the last race weekend as well, which was just... Uh, I don't think he actually finished a race the last weekend, so... Yeah, he retired from all three in Dubai. And Hyder- like Hyderabad Blackbirds have had loads of pace, but various problems of you know, not top of the championship. I think he's actually the team's highest placed driver and he's only seventh in the standings, which is quite remarkable. So let's stay in Q8 for UAE F4, which were wins for Water for Walton, Ugachukwu and David, or is it David? Um, uh, and as equally, if not more chaotic than um, Formula Regional. Had the honour of being the very first race in Q8, um, first first single seater race in the country's history, and definitely kind of delivered on on the drama. Um, we de- we know who are like our, t- our two tight contenders are now. It's a Wharton Ugachukwu fight. I don't think anyone else is really going to be um, involved in this. Although Rinnacella is ahead of Wharton in the standings. Um, really good fight in race one actually between um, Wharton and Ugachukwu. I think he lost the lead to Ugachukwu at one point and then we had to overtake him. Well, that was in race two where Wharton got into the lead and then Ugachukwu had to get back past uh, to take the win. But again, we only got, I think, like eight corners in before the safety car was out and then the race was red flagged because of uh, how many incidents they've had. I think one was a start line crash and then um, in various other parts of the track, we, <laughs> we had people losing wings, losing wheels, um, so that was hectic. I think in that because there's like 38 cars, and only 32 finished that race. So we had a, you know, lost quite a lot very quickly. And in race two, we had a similar like retirement rate as well. Um, I think like six cars retired in that race, but the safety car was only out for three laps in that one. But once again, it was red flagged, so it's like it was technically no racing for like 10 minutes at a time, which was not fun. No, especially when when the 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 stream what doesn't sound like the best either. So, thoughts on Q eight as a track? Do you think it's the fact that they didn't get to do the testing properly? That is just the first time, or is this just a track that's not suitable for single seaters? Um, tricky one. Drivers were definitely too enthusiastic into turn two, which is where most of the drama was. And because it's so wide on entry, it's a bit like Interlagos turn four. Like, drivers are going to try and go for moves there. So you're inevitably going to have crashes there, maybe in any type of car, touring cars, you know, whatever. Um, but the thing I noticed, like, you've got really good elevation changes. It's a really interesting track. Like, when you look at it, it's also a very long track, though. And that when you have something like Spa Francorchamps as well, where it's really long, the recovery vehicles take a hell of a long time to then you know get back to the, the pit lane of the paddock. Um, and if you only have two, in, yeah, and I don't know what they do in regards to like crossing the circuit. Like you know, Silverstone has the bridge, but I don't know if at Q8 they have a way of going like from the outside of the track to the inside without having to go all of the way around the outside of the lap to then get back to pit lane, etc. Um, so, you know, as a circuit, it's suitable for single-seaters. One thing you're always going to have to be 
wary of is dust because it's a desert track. Wind's going to blow things on. We see that turn one in Bahrain and, and like F2 always has a good example of this. Of, you know, drivers presuming there's so much more grip and then there's just dust there and they crash into each other. So that's a contributing factor for turn two as well. There's not too many high heavy braking zones apart from that corner. So that kind of minimizes the amount of heavy crashes you're going to have. But you also have this downhill kind of chicane section that follows that also catches a lot of drivers out and a turn seven left-hander, which is almost a full 180, which means, um, you know, someone can go all the way around the outside or the inside, but then once you then kind of want to straighten up on exit, you're going to have collisions there as well. It's all probably down to the drivers on how, you know, how sensible they are. We do see other circuits with a huge number of crashes and we don't go around saying, you know, that they're, they're dangerous. But I think because this is the first weekend, it's set a, a bad impression of, this track suitability to these kinds of cars and, and this kind of racing. Yeah, especially. Um, honestly, though, like F1 cars on there, though, I think F1 would, you know, have a really good race. So it's down to the drivers. Yeah, especially because these are like the, some of the most inexperienced F1 drivers at the bottom of the ladder. So I guess they're not, they're still kind of learning that if two races in a row there's been 50 huge crashes at turn two, maybe lay off. A little bit out turn two. Yeah, and, and also when you have safety car red flag, safety car red flag, you're gonna have cold tires a lot of the time. So that just generally leads to more crashes. So um, you know, it's like an IndyCar, the same like safety cars breed safety cars, etc. So it's too too early to too early to write it off as a, a too dangerous for single seaters. Yeah, and we've got races the next two days as well, so Hopefully, we're going to see a big change in, you know, in how the drivers are approaching it. Yeah, more experience and just more, more everything. So, um, over in Formula Regional Oceana, I think that's what this one's being called. We had uh, wins for Louis Foster, Josh Mason, and James Penrose. So, do you do you, do you want to talk us through that one? Or were you following that one closely? Um, I tried following that one closely, but they also had broadcast issues. And so one of the races was fine. And then the next two were just really difficult to uh, to watch. And, you know, I stayed up until two in the morning and I watched about 25 seconds of the whole race because it just kept crashing and kept repeating the same, like, 20-second clip. Um, the audio, the commentary wasn't there. And, you know, I did have live timing, but then live timing was tugging a bit as well because that wasn't fun. Um, interesting weekend though in actual racing terms we had rain we had crashes we had title contenders getting too close to each other uh, but probably the big talking point was Louis Foster who's the, the reigning Indy Pro 2000 champion or USF Pro, Pro 2000 he just turned up set the pace won race one finished second in race two crashed into the back of Charlie Burt in race three when he probably could have won that one as well um, and really just kind of showed not necessarily the lack of quality in this year's grid, but you would normally attract drivers like Foster in previous years in terms of quality and also like international appeal. Um, because this, this year, is you know, this is rebranded um, Toyota series, right? Yeah, so it used to be TRS, and we had like Liam Lawson, Marcus Armstrong. I think um, Lando Norris did it not long ago, didn't he? Yeah, Lance yeah, Stroll definitely did. did. 
Uh, yeah, and Lance Stroll. Um, yeah, a lot of F1 drivers have gone through it, but you look at this field and more of them are like F4 graduates or Formula Ford graduates domestically. Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with that because it's a really good way to get an experience, but it's for, like, learning how to race the best. You're not getting that until Foster turned up, I think. Um, even though you've got Jacob O'Bell on the grid who has done Indy Lights, but, you know, he's not. He's never proven himself to be one of the, the front runners in the championships he's raced in. So it's really interesting to see what a difference Foster coming in would make. Um, and also, I think one thing that kind of helped him was we had a wet race and a wet session before. And, you know, he's raced in the UK. He knows wet, like what to do when you're racing a car in the wet. And, and a few of the others don't really have that experience. So that helped him as well. Um, but... I think reviewing the season so far, like there's not really too much to say. It hasn't been massively thrilling. We've had a few standout drives, but like I said, like the grid isn't the same quality as previous years. This weekend coming up, we've got the New Zealand Grand Prix. We've got our former Super League Formula driver, Chris van der Drift, coming in. Um, in addition to Foster, we've got a few other like junior single-seater stars racing. So I expect the coming races to be the best of the season and basically like proving why... This season, uh, this series is still one to, to follow and to watch by having you know, that kind of star quality in it. I hope so. It's one of my favourite series and one of my favourite weird um, factoids that New Zealand Grand Prix. So I, I hope it doesn't go the way of Formula Regional 3.5 and, and the likes because it is. It's a good little championship. I, I suppose the um, pandemic definitely did, didn't did help, did it? No, and although we did get like Shane Van Gisbergen doing it because they could only have New Zealand drivers for one year, um, you know, at the same time as it being stopped during the pandemic, we then had like Formula Regional Asia going to the Middle East and coming Winter Series. We had MRF Challenge stop as well, so other Winter Series options came up for drivers and now... Like the grids we were mentioning earlier in the OEE, 30 plus cars in F4 and, and close to 30 in Formula Regional. Um, this season in New Zealand, we've had 13 for the first two rounds, 16 for last weekend, and probably around 20 for the Grand Prix weekend. So, you know, it's not it's not as popular as it used to be. No, hopefully they can they can bring that back though. And you mentioned MRF MRF Challenge or. Well, nearly MRF Challenge. That was the final weekend, the final race this weekend, yeah. right? So another like big win series that likes of Jamie Chadwick did, Harrison Newey. <laughs> Not the greatest examples. Um, I believe Fitpoldy did Sarri. it. I don't remember fully though. Yeah. So um, was... a few IndyCar drivers have definitely driven it in the past. Connor Daly, uh, Jordan King, I think. Uh, but yeah, it used to be like a series that would do the Middle East and India. So it'd be like Chennai, the Sale, Bahrain, sometimes even the UAE. Um, and it would run kind of December, January, February. But during the pandemic, it also had to stop. And it's Formula 2000 cars, so they're similar to Formula Renault 2.0. And they haven't been used for two years. They revived the series, kind of, um, last October as a four-round championship purely at the Chennai track in India um, with just um, Indian drivers because it's not an FIA series. They revived it as a just part of the Indian national championships, essentially. But they wanted to get the cars ready and 
because uh, it's a century run series you know they wanted to get used to running those cars um so actually it was really entertaining although you know the the difference in drivers between the best and the worst was quite big um sai sanjay and sohil shah who were the kind of the two best drivers in that were actually really strong and they put on some good racing and although the chennai track isn't the highest in safety standards it then does mean like you have drivers running over the grass and then just coming back on and chasing drivers down again it, it feels a bit like watching british club racing which is quite fun um speaking to the organizers they said they want to revive the mrf challenge proper so with these same cars with the same team of people running it but probably on international tracks again maybe still all indian but attracting you know those those big overseas names um because i think it's significantly cheaper than doing like Formula Regional, etc. Um, and honestly, like a bit like TRS, it's always been fun covering these series back in the day. So to having them return in style this year has, has been quite fun. Yeah, uh, I think it's worth um, mentioning. Sa- I, I apologise for pronunciation. Sai Sanjay has won that championship. Yeah, so he only won three races across the whole season because Sohil Shah dominated the last two rounds. But yeah, he was consistently the kind of the best driver. Um, we only had six cars, I think, a few rounds, which wasn't you know brilliant. And only three of those drivers were perhaps what you consider contenders for wins. But they still put on a challenging because they have reverse grids, which is you know really good to see as well. You then had those drivers not being able to run away all the time. And then Sanjay, I think he won two reverse grid races and, and one like main race but he was on the podium in, in practically every other race so very strong season from him yeah that, so that's our that's our round up our first round up of the of the season um do you want to talk us through what's what's going on features wise and on the website so we'll have a lot of karting coverage over the next weeks because karting is on duty all the time um I think WSK Supermaster Series starts. We've got the next rounds of the USA Winter Series as well, and a few X30 competitions. Then we also have a new Winter Series. It's called Formula Winter Series. It's for F4 cars. Uh, teams have signed up for it. We've now got one driver kind of confirmed for it as well. That's in Spain. That's <laughs> another one for us to cover. Um, Features-wise, we've got loads. The issue is, you know, so many people are announcing things at the moment and we're running like five or six news stories a day and sometimes you don't want to be running a feature when it's 11 in the evening. You want it to be, you know, the focus of, of the readers' attentions during you know, like their lunch break or, or their commute. Um, so we should have a follow-up podcast and several news and feature pieces with Callum Eilert talking about his junior career and kind of the mental journey he's had since then and also when he was in F1 junior teams. Um, a piece with Team Formula Sport in Denmark talking about how they were the very first team to run Jan Magnussen in single seaters. And they went off and did like kind of GT, super GTs in Denmark. And now they finally come back to F4. And when I was in Denmark last summer, I talked to him about what attracted him back to this formula and why in the country they're struggling to keep drivers because they keep wanting to go off and do Spanish F4, a bit like Noah Stromstedt. Um, we've also got an interview with Dan Patel, who created Formula Chrysler, uh, well, no, sorry, not Formula Chrysler, Formula Opal slash Formula Lotus slash Formula Vauxhall Lotus, whatever name you wanted to give it back in the, in the 80s and 90s. Um, he was the mastermind behind that and the EFDA Nations Cup. 
um, John Svensson, who raced in the Formula Chrysler Euro Series, and we've done a bit of piece on, in Formula Regional last year, we had Kevin Donegan, Keith Donegan, I'm sorry, who uh, drove for his own team, and this is another example of a driver who set up their own team so they could race for it, and they're still running their team now. Um, he actually races in Formula Ford himself and with his team, and he ran a few young kids recently, so it'd be very interesting to talk to him about that. Um, and before we know it, we'll be doing the season reviews of the, the winter series and then the season previews because it's only two weeks until F2 and F3 testing. Oh, gosh. So, uh, busy, busy time. Hopefully we'll get some of those features out between all the driver announcements and all the other announcements that's going on. And we're checking soon for that Calamilot podcast because I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. Come back soon for another Formula Scout podcast. Yeah, adios.